Hi, welcome to Around Town, where we seek to discover insights into places, events, topics, and issues that you want to know about in our great city. I'm your host, Nick Burkfeld, with producer Chuck Luck. Today, we will be talking with Chris King, Anna Jackson, and Ian Rodriguez, collaborative authors for Sparks of Joy 2. First is Chris, where we'll be speaking about finding joy in obedience. Chris, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for having us. It sparks joy. How did it start? Well, it started in the shower (laughs) back in August of 21. I just felt impressed with the idea to write a book with six other local authors and talk about sparks of joy and how, despite heartache, how we could spread some joy in uncertain times. You mentioned heartache. What is the nature of the heartache for these authors? We cover a lot of topics in both of the books. The bottom line was it was more like where the world was when the idea came to me. And it was more like we all have some kind of a heartache and yet we can choose joy. What does that look like? I didn't give big guidelines, just however they wanted to portray the topic. The first book had topics like trials and faith and love and hope and loneliness. The second book, we delved a little further into stuff like forgiveness and prayers that are otherly answered, not the way we were praying for them to be answered, and then obedience and provision and how they found hope despite heartache in those times and how they used their faith despite fear. Can you describe your process for finding joy? I'm kind of like a naive child in a lot of ways, and so a lot of things surprise me. I get excited about small, insignificant things. Connecting dots brings me joy because I think a lot of times I'll see something and that sparks an interest and then the curiosity, got to dig into it, and then all of a sudden, surprise, there's joy. I feel like I realized that finally at age 57 that I could choose it. It's not elusive. It's a choice. The process of writing a book and being an editor, what's that been like? When you haven't done what you always wanted to do because something in your head was telling you, why should anybody listen to you or whatever, it's been so freeing because it's finally like I tackled the beast inside that was saying, you can't do this. Honestly, I love to talk about the joy of obedience because that's what this whole entire process has been for me is I felt led by God to write this book, ask the girls to participate with me, and then they said yes, which was also kind of a miracle in a way. They didn't even know me. Some of them in the second book especially didn't even know me, but they also chose the joy of obedience to him by partnering with me to write these stories. Writing is so cleansing to your soul when you actually sit down to do it. It's therapy. It's great. What was the process like of finding these other authors to contribute their stories to the work? The beauty of that was in the shower, all these things happened. I got the name. I knew the women who I was to ask. When I got out of the shower, dried off, got my clothes on, I went straight to work on it because I knew that it was something exciting. And I was looking for a way to collaborate with some other gals. And I liked the idea of it being local because I had met women from all over the United States that I could have partnered with. But something about being able to see these gals in the grocery store and when we share our stories, people read them, then they could see us out and about doing life in Lubbock, having had experiences just like they had. The heartache of experiencing something as traumatic as cancer, putting it into writing, 
But that's never the end result for you is just simply the book itself. There's a lot that continues forward. We've had a couple of events and we are looking for more. We love to do this. We'll take five or six of us to go out and speak to a group like I usually do talk about the joy of obedience and how that has been kind of my step in this. And then each one of the gals will give their part of joy to the discussion. And then we have the books that they can take home. And the book, the way it's written, it's a story. But then we have questions for them to ponder when they've read the story. You ponder it in your experience. The beauty of that is then they go out and they tell someone else, you know, I was thinking about this because they read this story. This made me think of my life. And then now I can share that with somebody else. To me, it's just kind of a ball that's rolling and we don't care where it goes. We just want it to keep rolling to encourage. There are these elements of community and ministry that go far beyond the idea of a book itself, but just as a starting point. How do you think about it, these elements of ministry, community? I just don't want to have lived my life here without recognizing and seeing other people. I want to have taken in what they have to offer and give what I have to offer. I just see it as the way it's supposed to work because I don't think we'd all be here together if we weren't supposed to help each other out by the trials that we go through and the lessons that we learn. And not even just older to younger, because a lot of these gals are way younger than me and they've taught me so much other ways to look at things. And it's like a orchestra or something. It's like everybody doing their part and it just blends this beautiful harmony and music. That's what I see it as, is just collaborating is so important. There's no competition amongst these women. That's what is so beautiful, because usually there would be, but I have not seen it. All 16 of my authors, they've been so precious to encourage one another, and we've all become friends. This activity of finding new community, making connections, breaking barriers, trying new things, is this the person that you've always been? I've always been a connector. I didn't realize how much until the last maybe eight years. I'm so fascinated by people. I like to hear their story. I like to see what I can learn from them. Just hearing some little thing they might say or something they do or something they're involved in, and then I've got to know more about it. And then suddenly I have a friend. And then I can't wait to introduce that friend to someone else. So being a connector has always been there. I'm a talker, so that's always been there. (laughs) Can't deny that. I've also always been a journaler, a writer, but I didn't feel like I had the permission to do it. Basically, it was me holding me back. I want none of that anymore, and I don't want any other young lady to feel that way or a young man. You just take it and go. If it's in your heart, you're supposed to do it. I didn't have that, and so when I gained that, I want to help others find that. What changed that allowed you to give yourself permission? Well, actually, I went on a walk to Emmaus. We think our purpose is very elusive, and it's really not. You cannot look back over your life and see the way you've always done things. And that's not an accident. That is what you're supposed to do. And I kept thinking that I was going to have to go to Africa, and I didn't want to go to Africa. (laughs) I didn't want to do some crazy thing. I didn't want to go as a missionary or do something that I wasn't called to do. And in my spirit, I just felt, he said, you've always been a writer. You've always been a connector. You've always talked a lot. So come on now, that is your gifting. And that's what I want you to do. Could you do it about me? Absolutely. So there we go. I realized it's not about me. That's basically what it was, is I've been given these gifts. I want to use them for him. So then it's not about me. And then I felt empowered and emboldened and courageous enough to step out. I feel no obligation to me about it. So that was easy after 50-something years to finally realize that. 
Going through this journey, what have you learned about sparking joy? It really does just take a little bit of joy to make you have a joyful life. When I say that, I heard a really great quote one time, the anticipation of joy is a joy in itself. And that spoke volumes to me. I'm a planner and I love to host events and whatnot. And sometimes all of the preparation and planning is so fun to me that by the time it gets there, I'm kind of like, okay, we need to get on with this because I got another thing I want to plan. You know, it's like joy is sort of contagious too. I mean, it doesn't take much to get someone into a joyful place and then keep them there when they realize it's a choice because we can all be the grump at the grocery store or whatever. But if you think I'm going to look this person in the eye and I'm going to talk to him, I'm going to see human to human. I just feel like it's such a choice that I don't ever want to (laughs) quit having a spark of joy in my life because it really has blown up by just choosing it. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And we'll be right back to continue our conversation on Sparking Joy on Around Town on 89.1. Welcome back to Around Town. We're now speaking with Anna Jackson on finding joy even in difficult situations. Anna, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you. I'm excited to get to be here. What is the nuisance and how is it related to joy? In 2013, I was diagnosed with a rare cancer. There's only about 500 cases in the United States in a year. The nuisance for me is a rare cancer. I realized that anytime I said the word cancer or the type of cancer, that I could feel like this anxiety crawling on me. I began to realize that I didn't want it to have that kind of power over me. My sons and I started calling the cancer the nuisance, which is something that I deal with. I've actually had three recurrences in the last 10 years, so occasionally I have to dig in and deal with that. By reducing the amount of power it has over my thinking, I found a lot of strength in that. But I had begun to write during the nuisance so that I could find breadcrumbs along my way to remind me of good things that were happening in spite of the hard things that were often happening around me. And one day I was sitting on my couch. I was bald as a baby, sick as a dog, honestly questioning if I was getting better, if I was getting worse. And it was kind of like God nudged me. and was like, oh, sister, this isn't just all about you. A lot of the things that I was writing, I began to share on my blog to help other people in their nuisance. You know, my nuisance is cancer, but everybody's got a nuisance. A nuisance could be a bad relationship, financial worries, jobs not going great. But when we find ourselves in times of life where we are having to deal with whatever that nuisance is, there's joy to be found too. The nuisance really taught me a lot of lessons about how to find joy, even in trials how to be okay even when things are not all right. I didn't want those lessons to be limited to my life. I wanted those lessons to be impactful in the lives of other people as well because we are not intended to do our lives in isolation. Everything I go through can be beneficial to help somebody get through what they're going through. I have really just learned that when we all share the experiences that we have, such as the nuisance and the joy that we find in spite of that, then we can help each other along our path. And I think that's a really powerful gift that we have. What have you learned by sharing your nuisance and hearing about others? 
It's been really interesting. Once I started sharing my story publicly, the story began to relate to other people who had things going on in their lives. I'm just a little girl from the Lubbock County area writing on a little blog, and I began to get connected with people in Australia who were going through the similar type of nuisance as I was. And in fact, I was able to meet one lady in Australia who had the same kind of cancer I did. And about six months later, another lady from Australia found my blog, and I was like, hey, let me introduce you to my friend, you know, and I was able to connect people in a whole other part of the world because I was willing to live my story out loud. And in turn, people share with me encouragement all the time as well. I discovered that I'm able to help inspire and encourage people, but then people inspire and encourage me as well. I think the more we give of ourselves, especially in times that are hard, the more we find that our cup is always full as well. You had mentioned having a couple recurrences in the past. Each time, how do you manage this reoccurrence of the nuisance? For me, my faith is a huge foundation of everything. I would not be where I am. I don't even know that I would be alive, honestly, if it were not for my faith. When I had the second recurrence, I'd gone almost five years, you know, which if you've got cancer survivors that are listeners out there, you know, five years is a big number. And I was so excited because I was so close. And then we discovered that it was back. I get my treatment mostly at MD Anderson in Houston because it is so rare. And I was in the shower, which is where I have my breakdowns because nobody else can see or hear when I'm there. I was mad at myself because I had seen the amazing things that God had done in my life in the first round. I had seen how my boys were taken care of, how my husband was taken care of, how all of my needs were met. And I saw that there were so many blessings along the way. And I was frustrated with myself that when I heard the nuisance was back, that fear just crept right back in, just like it did the first time. I felt like I was letting myself down. I felt like I was letting God down. I felt like I should know so much better that this was going to be okay. Just as clear as if you were speaking to me, I heard the words, fearlessly dependent on the one who makes me brave. That just has become such a powerful statement for life. I can't be brave about everything that's happening in my life. I can't just summon my courage. I can try, but it doesn't work very well. When I learn, and this is the opposite of what we tend to think, especially as strong West Texas people, you know, in the good old United States, we think that it's all about independence. And I struggle with that bone. I am a very independent person. My strength is actually found in my dependence on God, who's the one that equips me for all the other things that he calls me to. When I began to realize that the best way to have control was to let go of control, best way to be brave was to be dependent, everything shifted. Do you think this relationship that you have with your faith would have been different had the nuisance not happened? I had always known God, and I'd always known about the peace that passes understanding, and I'd always known all those things. But this experience showed me what that really meant. When you are having to sit at your computer and make some last decisions and write letters to people you love because you don't know what's going to happen next and still be okay, that's when you understand peace that passes understanding. And I think it certainly led me to a much deeper understanding of the power that he brings to my life. And so, yeah, it, it changed everything. What would you say is your path to joy? I like to recognize that there's so much power in what we're choosing to focus on. 
And it's really easy when you're going through a hard time, when your marriage is falling apart, or your kids are not well, or your finances are broken, or all the things that are going on in this crazy world around us. It's so easy to get focused on those things. And when you do, you are sacrificing your joy. It's not that we deny that those things exist or put our heads in the sand. It's not a Pollyanna kind of approach to life, but it's choosing what we're going to focus on. And one is going to bring joy and one is going to steal our joy. Often when we speak, I'll do a little activity where I'll give the people in the room 30 seconds to look around. And listeners, I invite you to do it. 30 seconds, look around your room and see every red thing you can possibly see. And now tell me every green thing you saw. And you can't remember any of the green stuff because you were looking for the red. And life is like that. If you're looking around for the good things and the joy and the kind people, the way your needs are met, you're going to see that. But if you get caught in a negative loop of only focusing on all the things that are wrong and all the people that are horrible and all the ways that your needs are not being met, that's all you're going to see. So if you can shift your perspective and look up instead of looking down on the things going on around you, look out at people around you instead of focusing on all the things that are just going on in your own heart. If you can get to where you look at faith versus focusing on your fear, you got the secret right there. That's the secret to joy. It makes all the difference in the world. The positive meaning that you draw from life's lessons and the desire to help others, where does that resilience come from? I heard somebody say a long time ago that you should always plant what you need. When you are needing something in your life, if you go and you plant that in somebody else's life, it's amazing how that need becomes fulfilled in your own. When I began to spend my time worrying about somebody else or meeting somebody else's needs or encouraging somebody else, I found that it was like a dam broke. So I really do believe that we are built to help each other. And when we do that, it fulfills us in the process. When we live that way, we're healthier, happier people. And we truly can find joy in hard times. Anna, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And we'll be right back to continue our conversation on Sparking Joy on Around Town on 89.1. Welcome back to Around Town. We're now speaking with Ian Rodriguez on finding joy in discipline. Ian, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. How did you get involved in The Sparks of Joy? I'm part of the second book. I did not know Chris at all. Getting to meet her, she was kind of a soul sister. We had that same pulse running through of what we kind of want to see happen in this particular area. I bought in right away because it was definitely something that I could tell she was championing in so many of us. What is joy to you? It's been everything that they've said earlier. I would say that it's a discipline. You think about disciplines in general. It takes patience and endurance and something that you have to really grow My daughters are musicians. They had a music teacher that said, it isn't practice that makes perfect. Practice makes permanent. 
So if you practice wrong, that's kind of how it's going to be. And I remember putting this to a test in regards to joy. There's going to be a lot of things that come in your life that are not joyful whatsoever. They're not going to land at your doorstep where you're going to be like, oh, I want to choose joy right here. I mean, it's something that you have to be disciplined in and you have to create an endurance so that it just sort of flows from that place naturally. That takes time. That takes a place of growth somewhere that is deeply rooted. And any of that is discipline, which is essentially what discipleship is. It is kind of growing that muscle. Without these tests and trials and suffering and things that we have to endure, there would be no joy. There'd be no need for it. I think that's part of this is continuing to remember that. It's something I have to practice a way that we just sort of see things differently, that perspective shift. It does. It takes time to be able to kind of grow that out. How did you choose the story that you would write about and include in the book? Faith Despite Fear is the title of that second book. For me, it's Do It Scared. Finding joy in spite of the fact you're scared to death. There's a lot of things that I've had to do really, really scared. Hosting women's conferences, even doing this. I think that a lot of my life was much like Chris. You wait around for some kind of permission. You're like just waiting for somebody to give you the thumbs up. Yeah, go ahead. You know, for me, really, I was doing and dreaming these big, huge things, hosting entire women's conferences, doing things that really me as a housewife, a mother would have never, ever imagined I could do. That's kind of part of this is despite that fear, doing it scared, doing the next big thing that God has for you, not waiting around necessarily for the permission to do it. If God is for me, then who can be against me in that? And knowing that he's going to make the impossible possible through that. And so that's kind of the way this has been for me is living in this kind of awe of God. He's always calling me to do something big and scary. And it's just that yes, it's that obedient yes to him. Sometimes I don't know what that's going to look like. And it feels like it's always changing because of that. I need faith. I need faith despite fear. When I think of that word despite, I have to change it to despise because in the Hebrew, it means to think very small. We even see Jesus as he was going to the cross. It says he despised the cross. He thought little of it and endured this suffering that was there. To me, I have to make fear small. And how do we do that? That's with faith and really big faith. Even those small little tiny steps instead of giant leaps, it's all about obedience, just doing that very next thing that God's calling you to. How did the experience that you wrote about impact your ministry? It's impacted it in huge ways. I pray that it's really impacted the women who get to be there, that they see that God is able and that he calls us to do things at times that we would never have imagined. I think there are moments when we don't give ourselves enough credit. We don't see the potential God sees in us, in our lives, in our stories, getting to share our stories in and of itself. The word testimony means God do it again. Even just sharing it gives another woman hope, another person hope to say, God, do it again. You're not going to do it exactly the way you did it for this person, but you're able to do it again. That's what we need to see is the stories become contagious. They become another person's story, another person's anthem to say, God is good. He is real and he can do it again. And if we'll stand in that faith together in unity, there's something powerful that happens. Being able to share the stories of really what God has done audaciously through the life of this little West Texas girl. He's given me a mic. He's given me a platform. He's given me a ministry. And being able to share those stories through Chris giving that opportunity for all of us to do that, it does. It amplifies Christ in a way that sometimes words, <laughs> they just don't do sufficient justice, I think. Your 
ministry, what is the focus of it? Really, it's all about amplifying Christ with our lives. I just wanted to be a woman with a microphone that would just say, hey, this is real life. This is what it really means to serve the Lord. Give That Girl a Mic was about helping every woman, every man know that they're given a mic. We have a circle of influence. We have this way in which we can amplify what Christ has done in our lives. No one is counted out of that. For me, it's just helping others, leading them to that place where they feel comfortable in knowing, gosh, what is God calling me to do? And so helping them, I do a lot of teaching, you know, writing, obviously blogging, podcasts, just to really get the message out there to show the world that Christ is still saving. He's still healing. He's still doing the great invisible work is what I call it. For us, we get to just be the evidence. We get to bear the fruit of what God is doing on the earth right now. This calling for ministry Has it always been there for you? And if so, what changed? Yes, it's always been there. I've always been a teacher at heart. And I always thought I would go into the school system. Little did I know God was sort of birthing these Bible studies to train up the church. Really, I had to kind of walk in that stumbling a little bit, not quite sure what all that was about, but really just found it through Bible studies and teaching small groups of women at first. And then, of course, getting called to the radio and then wanting to host women's conferences were so much further in the future than I could have ever dreamed. In that place, it's kind of like what I've always been meant and called to do. You just have to foster that calling, help them know that you're for them, especially in this day and age. You know, everybody wants to be an influencer, (laughs) but we don't have to pretend. We can truly be authentic in this walk. And sometimes it looks like a hot mess. You know what I mean? And it's okay. God will still use us. He still gets his message through all of us fallible human beings. He just does. And that's the beauty of it. I get to now do the best part, you know, is just help others in this journey to walk alongside me. As part of this journey, are there parts of yourself that you see in a different light or parts of yourself that you had never noticed before? Absolutely. I was a girl with very little confidence. I was a perfectionist to the core. I was a people pleaser. I always say the Lord kind of took that trophy away from me a long time ago. I kind of held it like a badge of honor. You know, honestly, that's kind of what has happened these last few years. He's built my confidence, but not in myself, more of a confidence in him. I call it the God confidence. I know myself pretty well. I think we all do. We get scared that there's no way God can use us with all the information that he's got kind of stored up on who we really are. And what we find is he wants to use that. He wants to use that messy part of our story so that we can all have those me too moments. Like, yes, we're all broken. And knowing that it's not the way the world gives it, where I'm confident in me and what I can do and all the knowledge that I have or all the experience even. It's really confidence in him that he's called me and therefore I can do it. What's something that you would want women out there listening to know? I would say do it scared. Whatever that next thing God is asking of you right now in this moment, I would say don't let fear hinder you. Make it small. Despise it. Do it scared. Fear is there. It's absolutely there. Push against it a little bit. Make it work for you instead of against you, but do it anyway. Ian, that's all the time that we have today. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Around Town. I'm your host, Nick Workfeld. This show was produced by Chuck Luck. Our guests today were Chris King, Anna Jackson, and Ian Rodriguez, collaborative authors for Sparks of Joy 2. Join us next Friday morning at 9 a.m. on 89.1. For more information on Around Town, visit ttupublicmedia.org. 